Hey guys, we'll get started in just one minute, but I wanted to give you some good news. We've got our Worship and Creative Conference coming up in October, the 23rd to the 25th, and you can join us online. So as a thank you to you, our podcast listeners, for being with us on the journey, we wanted to give you a discount, 20% off the whole online conference. Go to hillsong.com forward slash WCC and use the promo code podcast19. And now let's roll the intro. Hillsong Creative Podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. It's Rich Langton here, and I'm so glad that you've joined me yet again. Hey, since our last episode, the podcast has reached a pretty huge milestone, and I'm really uh, encouraged and uh, astounded by it. We've reached 1 million downloads. That's right, someone this week was our 1 millionth downloader. So if that's you out there, I don't know who it was, but um, essentially I wanted to thank all of you for your support and for your encouragement, for being with us on the journey of the creative podcast. It's been pretty spectacular. And uh, obviously, uh, it's to a certain degree, it's been helpful to you guys. And I pray um, that we can continue to be helpful and really useful in the content that we that we put out there. And I'm so glad that we've got this growing community of people who are interested in exploring their faith and their creativity and how they, how they work together. So if you have found the podcast useful, maybe would you consider sharing it with someone in your world, someone on your team or someone you know who would also benefit from it? Because we obviously do the podcast to be helpful and we do it to be useful to real people in real situations, you know, real creative teams. And so we want to get it out to as many people as we can in situations where it's actually useful. But today, we're going to be talking to Robert Ferguson. He's our uh, teaching pastor here at Hillsong Church, and he's a, someone I look up to a lot, and I'm sure many of you who are listening look up to him. And um, he's a wise man, he's been through a lot, and he's seen the gamut of church life. In our conversation, we talk about calling and the anointing, and we explore how calling and anointing work together. And when it comes to calling, I think many of us struggle to work out what our calling is, or we, we wonder if we're called, and, and if we're called to a certain thing, does that mean that then we'll always be confident and we'll always feel like we're doing the right thing? And so in this conversation, we hear Robert's perspective on that. We hear about his journey of knowing his called, working out how to feel, you know, feel that calling, and then the times when he's maybe not as confident and and where he has to step into the anointing um, and really where God's Spirit takes over in a sense and gives him the ability to step into all he's meant to be doing. So I think you'll enjoy this one. I think it'll be really helpful. We'll jump into it now and I'll talk to you at the end. Welcome, Robert, to the Thank podcast. You very much. It's so great to have you. For those listening, this is Robert Ferguson. He's our teaching pastor here at Hillsong Church. What does it mean to be a teaching pastor? I definitely identify as a teacher Mm. and I identify as a pastor in the sense that I want to shepherd the people as the Bible instructs us to do. Mm. But I dislike those gifts being 
used as titles. And so many people in their description of themselves give themselves a title. Mm. So when one of the students in our college asked, calls me Pastor Robert, I always say, my name is Robert. <laughs> I am a pastor. I am a teacher. Mm. But don't give me a title. Right. Because people then use a title to perhaps distance themselves or make themselves better than Well, I think else. it goes either way. I think people should honour people, but I, we should all honour each other. Mm. But we're told to honour people in authority. We're told to honour people. In general, we're told to honour leaders. Mm. So that's good. Mm. But you can distance yourself by putting someone on a pedestal, which mm. doesn't do you any good, but also doesn't do them any good. Right. And entitlement from the leader's perspective is an ugly thing mm. Mm. and shouldn't be encouraged in any form whatsoever. Right. So you, you said you're, you see yourself as a pastor and a teacher. Yes. When did you first... I guess, have that realisation? Or when did, when did you know you should be teaching? It's an interesting thing because I've always had a very curious mind mm. when I'm asked about what was my mother's greatest attribute. Mm. I'd often say curiosity. She instilled a sense of curiosity mm. in me, which I think laid the foundations for me studying biology and getting a degree in zoology and training to be a biology teacher, I was curious. Mm. And I'm still curious. I'm always intrigued. I'm interested in everything. Mm. And if you are curious and interested in everything, I've found that you want to tell people about it. Right. If I discover a fact, mm -hmm. I'm always sharing it. If mm. I read something in a book that I enjoy or I've seen a great scene in a movie, I'm automatically wanting to tell someone. Right. So I've done that all my life, mm. but nobody's recognised it as the qualities of a teacher. Mm. But I think those are the two great qualities of a teacher. Mm. Teachers have to be learners mm. and teachers have to enjoy the process of sharing mm. information. But I went through school and they didn't recognise me being as a teacher. I went through university and they didn't recognise me as a teacher. Mm. And I went through teacher's training college and they didn't recognise me as a teacher. And I think partly because teachers have a very poor press. Hmm. They're not recognised as a great mm. occupation or a great gift. We all have right. very inspirational teachers in our lives yes. and we all honour that. But if, if we often talk to people about teaching, they say, well, if you can't do teach... Right. If you're not good enough to perform, mm. then teach what you do. Mm. But I have a hugely inspired by teachers and very mm. inspired by the process mm. of teaching. So I'm not really answering your question, but <laughs> after okay. I finished teacher's training college, people in my world would say, I think you're going to be a preacher. I think you're going to be a teacher. But because of this bad press, I'd, I ran away. Right. And then God himself spoke to me and said, this is what you're going to be. Mm. And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Mm. So I always wanted to be a biologist, 
partly because I don't like, I shouldn't say don't, <laughs> didn't like people very much. <laughs> I like my own company. I yes. find crowds difficult. Mm. I was brought up on a farm on my own, working with animals and conservation struck me as been an excellent idea. Mm. So when God put it on my spirit to be a teacher and a mm. preacher, I was just like jo Jonah. I literally ran in the opposite direction. Mm. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll at least train to be a teacher, sort of obedient, mm. but not really. Right. You knew you weren't fully obedient? Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I remember having an argument with God in, in a library one day. I went to the science library in the university and I went to my favourite section, which was in the biology area. And I remember God following me down the aisle. That's what it, that's what it felt, <laughs> felt like between mm. the books. Wow. And I was in my spirit saying to him, go away, leave me alone. Mm. I want to be here. This is what I want. I want to mm. learn biology. This is my, my favourite place. Wow. And trying to push him away. Mm. And there's no statement uh, naming God the hound of heaven. I felt like that. Anyway, I pushed him away, pushed him away, tried to do mm. biology. And then one day in the middle of a lesson teaching biology, I was teaching people about a leaf, mm. drawing a picture of a leaf on, the, on a blackboard mm. to a group of 12-year-olds explaining stomata, the palisade layer, the epithelium, <laughs> the spongy mesophyll, and what they all did. Mm. And as I'm drawing on the blackboard, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as I'm speaking to you. And he mm. said, what are you doing? Mm. And I almost, it was so real, I almost answered out loud. Wow. And I said, I'm telling them about a leaf. <laughs> and he said, you should be telling them about me. Right. And I knew from that moment, oh. it was a life-changing, life-transforming moment. Mm. I knew I could not be a biology teacher mm. and I had to tell people mm. about Jesus. I mean, such a strong moment that obviously changed the course of your life. Completely. Really, like a calling. A like it was a, a calling. A real a, calling. A real, um, and I've never doubted it from that second. Right. That's the extraordinary thing. Yeah, so that was going to be my question was, is that where the confidence you have in your teaching comes well, from? Well, there's a number of things. Firstly, I'm absolutely confident of my calling mm. to the point that if, as has happened many times, I'm asked to speak in a business setting. Mm. As I said, business isn't my first love. Right. I've been asked to motivate business people. Mm. And I've asked the question, may I mention Jesus? And they've said no sometimes because right. of the nature of the group. Mm -hmm. They said, just come and teach us on leadership. And I've said, if, if I cannot mention Jesus, mm. I cannot speak because God told me mm. to talk about him. Mm. He didn't tell me to talk about anything else. Right. So that confidence has been incredibly helpful. Yeah. But I also think something else happened to me, lots of other things, but something else happened that I thought was normal, but I've discovered it wasn't. On the first day that I asked Jesus in my life, mm. at two o'clock in the morning on the 14th of March, 1974, 
instantly mm. I knew the Bible was true mm. from cover to cover. Mm. There has never been a doubt in my mind mm. that this was the Word of God. Mm. And I fell in love with it and was passionate about it mm. from that moment. Mm. Now, I assume that's what happened to all Christians. Right. But apparently it doesn't. Right. <laughs> but I realised that God had, in retrospect, I realised God put a gift in my spirit, mm. a gift of this love affair mm. with this extraordinary book. Mm. So when I get up to speak, it's not just the confidence of the calling, it's the confidence that this is God's Word. Right. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, if your gift is speaking, speak as though speaking the very words of God. Mm. And I genuinely get up, and mm. that's what I believe. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 and Isaiah and Isaiah 59 and uh, 51, he said, I have put my words mm. in your mouth. Right. And I, mm. I speak with that belief. Yes. Genuine belief. Yes. That yeah. that's what I'm doing. And that, that comes across. And some, I mean, you would know some, and you say this sometimes, some, that people might refer to you as being very strong in mm. perhaps your delivery of and communication. Yeah perhaps offensive sometimes. Look, I have offended people all over the world, <laughs> um, not just with what I've said, but what I've done. Right. I, I'm naturally immensely shy, mm. very, very retiring, love my own company, as I said, yeah. dislike large crowds. This is an area, being a preacher is just the one area I would never have chosen for myself. Mm. But I've had to rely on the grace of God and when I get onto that platform and operate the gift, mm. it is so not me that I speak with boldness. I feel right. invincible. Mm. I'm in my grace. Yes. I was told at school that I couldn't express myself. I was told that I was stupid, mm. disappointing. I couldn't write. I was told all sorts of things. So every time I do what I do... Mm. I know this is God. Right. And I see it as a supernatural thing. Yes. So when I get off the platform, I go back to my normal self, feeling very slightly discouraged, slightly down on myself, mm. feeling very ill at ease. Mm. But on the platform, mm. I feel like a giant. Yeah. I feel like there's lots to unpack in all of what you've just said. <laughs> because people listening... I guess there's a bunch of things, but people listening may not feel that sense of real strong call to anything. Um, maybe, you know, maybe they know Christ and they're called to that, to him and following him, but outworking that. How, what would you say to someone well, who's not had that moment like, like you had? If, if you see the, the story of someone like Paul, mm. he, he was saved and called all in the same moment. Right. God forgave him, saved him, and called him to be an apostle. And certainly in the first few days, he was absolutely mm. clear in his mind what he was meant to do. Right. And he wrote from that perspective. He mm -hmm. said, I am a servant of Christ yes. and an apostle to the Gentiles. He mm. knew exactly who he was, what he was on earth for. Mm. In the beginning of Corinthians, in the beginning of Romans, he, he says some interesting things. He says... All of us are called to be holy. Mm. 
as believers. All of us are called to be in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And he is called to be an apostle. So, in other words, he, he gives what, what I would term a generic calling mm-hmm. and a specific calling. Yeah. So, I believe all Christians, in whatever they're calling, whether they're, they're musicians or, or preachers mm. or nurses or doctors or lawyers or accountants, all Christians have a general calling. And that general calling is to pursue a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ yeah. and to live a holy life, mm. to live set apart, mm. live differently. Mm-hmm. But all of us, I believe, are called specifically. Tragically, many Christians never discover that. Right. And I actually think you need to pursue it. Mm. And the reason that I feel that is not only that Paul and others were called, but he he says that Paul writes in Philippians 3, he says, take hold of that for which... Christ mm. has taken hold of you. Mm. So we've, with everything in our power, we should take hold of that for which mm. Christ has taken hold of me. Right. In other words, he has taken hold of me for something. Mm. And this is the scary thought. He will hold me accountable. Right. So in, in Mark, I think it's 13, it says that when, we're, when we stand before him, mm. he has given us an assigned task. And Corinthians says the same. Mm. So, I think the first thing that he's going to ask Mm. is, firstly, do you know me? Mm -hmm. That's our generic calling. Right. We know, we're called to know Christ. And the second thing he's going to ask us when we stand individually before him Mm. is, did you do what I asked you to do? Mm. And if we say, well, I never discovered it, that's going to be an awkward moment. Mm. Yes. And I think it's a life-framing thing. Mm. I, would, I would go as far as to say that second to my salvation, my calling is the most significant thing mm. that has ever happened. Yes. Now, that's extraordinary to say when I'm both a husband and a father. Right. But I would say that my calling has actually shaped my marriage Mm. and my parenting. Mm. So it has greater Mm. impact. Right. We'll get right back to the episode, brought to you by our Hillsong Worship and Creative Conference, which happens in Sydney, Australia. It's for every kind of creative, whether you're a musician, singer, a graphic designer, architect, an audio engineer, or video editor. It's a place for the artists of the church to gather together, to worship, to be inspired and refreshed, and to be equipped and trained for your sphere of creativity. Come be a part of everything happening on site, like the exclusive collabs with practical training from our key Hillsong team. The conference has limited spaces, so if you can't make it to Sydney this year, why not join the online conference experience so you don't miss a moment of the main sessions? Find out more details at hillsong.com forward slash WCC. Now, let's get back to the episode. I'm Robert Ferguson, and this is my fantastic however many questions I'm asked. My favourite time of day is between about 9 o'clock in the morning and 11.30. That's my peak activity time, unless I'm being creative. And then I like to be half asleep in the morning. 
So if I'm writing, I get up really early and I work from around about six in the morning and then from six to ten or six to eleven, that is my best time. I'm terrible at so many jobs that it is very difficult to create a list. Possibly the worst job would be an accountant. I am not good with money. If I didn't have to sleep, what would I do with the extra time? I cannot imagine a world without sleep. I consider it to be one of the great divine inventions. Sleep is just wonderful. Not just sleep in itself, but I am very, very creative as I go to sleep and as I wake up. And I've come to the conclusion that it is because my spirit is always awake to God. And my mind, especially as a scientist and a thinker, always gets in the way. So it's as my mind is switching off and my spirit remains alive that I hear from God. So I'll often go to sleep at night asking God a question like, what should I speak about tomorrow? And as I drift off or as I wake up, I receive the answer. The last specific work of art I created was on Sunday night. As a teacher and as a preacher, for me, every time I speak, especially in the crafting of a sermon, is a work of art. You mentioned that you're confident um, when you're on the platform. Yes. And, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, more in control or more, more uh, apparent in those moments. Yes than others. So when you're finished preaching and you get off and you, you sort of step out of that zone, how does that interplay with the preparation phase? Well, it's, we're going to get into a discussion of the anointing. It's an interesting discussion because there's not many books on it and mm. not much in the Bible on it. Yes. But the anointing is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for you to do something. Mm -hmm. So Jesus in Luke 14 says, I am anointed mm -hmm. to preach. The Holy Spirit empowers him to do what he's called to do. Mm -hmm. God never calls us to do something without giving us the equipment to mm -hmm. do it. Right. So he, he anoints me for the task. Mm -hmm. So he's asked me to preach. And who would volunteer? Because he says, if you're going to be a teacher, I'm going to judge you more strictly. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons I didn't want to get up onto the platform. Right. But if he's going to call me, he has to equip me. Yes. So he anoints me for the task. And when you're operating gift, whatever your gift is, you could be a musician, you could be an athlete, you could be a preacher, you've been given a God-given gift. There is an, an, an equipment, an equipping that goes with it, an empowerment mm. that feels as though you are in the zone. Even, mm. even non-Christians talk about being in the zone, mm. that they are almost invincible when they're in that zone. The way I describe it is when I'm anointed on the platform, and I've used this for years, and mm. then after I've described it, mm. have found it's the experience of others. When I'm really in the zone... Mm. It's as if I am not doing it. Mm. It's as if I'm on the edge of the platform watching myself, right. thinking, wow, 
<laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. And I've actually thought as I'm going through this process, I need to write this down. This is extraordinary. Mm. I've never thought of this before. Right. <laughs> Watching yourself preaching. I'm not, and I'm actually saying it. Yeah, right. Now, having said that, that is a particular form of the anointing. Mm. It's, it's, if you will, the anointing of delivery. Mm -hmm. But there's also an anointing of preparation. Right. I would go as far as to say that I am more anointed on my own in my study mm. when I'm preparing a message than mm. when I'm delivering. It's certainly different. Yes. Because that's where God reveals things to you. Mm. So, for instance, Psalm 108, uh, 119 verse 18 says, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things. Mm in your law. Mm. And Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays for the Ephesian church, may they be given a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open their eyes, he said, mm. that they may see, that they may know him, that they may know the hope to which they've, they've mm. been called, the glorious riches of our mm. inheritance in the saints and so on. And I, I God reveals things to me yeah. in my study. Right. And for the creatives, can I say that he knows everything and can tell you anything. Mm. And he has all the ideas in the world mm. and all the stories in the world. Mm. So I'll often work with him like that. Mm. The Holy Spirit within me, I'll talk to him. At, well, do I talk to the Holy Spirit? Interesting <laughs> question. I always talk to the Father by the Spirit, through Jesus. But anyway, that's, a, that's another thought. <laughs> An aside. That's another aside. That's the direction of my prayers. Uh, but anyway, I'm talking to the Father, but by the Spirit, He shows me things. Mm. And He doesn't show me everything. He shows me bits mm. and pieces because he ex it's a partnership. Right. We're colleagues. Mm. We're, he's my companion. Mm. So, for instance, give you an example. I was working on a message many years ago on crowns and I was going to talk about the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and I was talking about all the different crowns that mm -hmm. the Bible says that we wear. And I wanted a really good story to start with and it was early in the morning, as I've said, yeah. and I'm, I always get up very early on a Sunday morning and I'm just thinking and working and I needed this great story. The service was at eight, it was now about six in the morning and I was struggling. Right. I didn't have a good story. And I said to God, I said, I need a good story. Mm. So please tell me a good story. Now, sometimes he'll tell me a story from my own life. Right. He'll just remind me of something that's happened, mm -hmm. maybe a visit to a cathedral or a, or a crown that I saw in the, in the crown jewels in the Tower of London, or right. he'll just remind Bring me of to things. Your mind, yeah. But this time he, he posed me a, or, or challenged me. He said, look up the coronation of Napoleon. Hmm. It just came to me as if it was written on a piece of paper. Hmm. Look up the coronation of Napoleon. Now, it's really interesting because not only did I have a book on Napoleon, right. which I had read. Amazing. But I, why didn't God tell me all the details? Hmm. Right. He wanted to work with me. Hmm. Mm. He wanted me to research. He right. wanted me to read it. Mm. So I went to pick up the book, read the story. It was absolutely the perfect story. Yeah. And I then 
wrote out the story and it was just the best way I could possibly describe. Mm. And he does this thing, this sort of thing all the time. Mm. So, for instance, um, I'm having a conversation with a friend over coffee. Yeah. And we're talking about naming things. Mm. God required Adam to name things. And we talked about the power of it because it, mm. it, if you name something, you have authority over it. Mm. You name your child yes. as a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one else names them, you name them. Mm. And there's an authority there. Interestingly, the Bible says you shouldn't name stars <laughs> because only God has authority to name them, just for the astronomers out there. <laughs> but we were talking about naming problems mm. because we talk about, let's say someone's got cancer and mm. they don't even call it cancer, they call it the big C. Right because they don't want to name it. Right. But if I've got a problem, I want to name it. Mm. I go to the doctor sometimes to find out what I've got so I can give it a name, because if I can give it a name, mm. I can have authority over it. Right. So we were just discussing this, and mm. I was pondering some thoughts, and then this thought came to mind that I'd never thought before, just randomly. Mm. This is why I know it's the Holy Spirit and His anointing, because it just comes to me, and mm. I think, hmm. <laughs> and the thought was, did Carl Linnaeus name more animals than Adam. <laughs> that, was the, that was the thought. Now, out of the blue. Right. Now, Carl Linnaeus, I knew, was a Swedish biologist in the yeah. 18th century who came up with a classification system. <laughs> so the idea, you know, Homo sapiens, wise man, that's his idea, a generic name and a specific name. Right. And every animal, every plant has a generic and a specific name so mm. that I can be in China, I can speak to someone who doesn't speak English, mm. and I know which animal they're talking about. It's a genius idea. Mm. But that's all I knew about Carl Linnaeus. Mm. So I ring up my daughter, who often accesses books for me, and I said, find me the biography of Carl Linnaeus. Mm. And she found a, a, a biography and put it on my desk. It was called Sex, Botany and Empire. <laughs> I thought anything with a book called, called amazing with a title, title like yeah. that, I'm going to read. Right. And this is what I discovered, that as a Swedish botanist in the 18th century, he decided that he would create the mm. second Garden of Eden. Hmm. And he brought flowers from all over the world so that he could create. Why you chose Sweden? I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's another matter. But he actually set out mm. not only to name things, mm. but to create this Garden of Eden, none of which I'd ever read or ever understood before. Right. So that question mm. opened up an, an enormous idea for me. Yes. Mm. And that, that, I think, is the anointing. Right. It's, not, it's not God just equipping me to speak with eloquence. Mm. It's, it's about ideas, it's revelation, right. it's thoughts, mm. it's what about this, what about mm. that? And it's, it's a partnership. Yeah. We're, we're working together in it. Yes. And he shows me things. Mm. So uh, many years ago, Jay Argett, um, before he does a campaign, a creative campaign for our conferences, yes. which we do. Mm. He comes up with all the posters and all the ideas and all the artwork and all. He will always come and see me a year before mm. and we just chew the fat yeah. and he'll share his ideas with me. Mm-hmm. And 
he would just say, what do you think of this, Robert? What do you think of this? Is mm. this biblical? Is this not biblical? What? Right. Um, about three or four years ago, he just walked into my office randomly, he just wandered in, mm. and he said, Robert, tell me something about sound. Wow. That was his question. Right. Tell me something about sound. Mm. Because sound was the, the basic subject that he was trying to communicate. Yes. Now, I can only tell you what I said. Mm. I said something without thinking about it. I said something that after I said it, mm. I thought and did go and write it down. Yeah. And I've preached on it since. <laughs> as soon as he said it, tell me something about sound. Mm. I said this, history sounds different than prophecy. And I'm saying this just straight off the top of my spirit. Yes. Not even... You haven't really thought about it. I have not really thought about it. I Mm. said it's the spiritual Doppler effect. I said when a train comes to you from a distance, Mm. as it passes you, it goes, the tone changes. Yes. That is a Doppler effect. (laughs) But I, I said what's happening is that it's compressing the sound waves as it approaches you. And the sound waves are extending as it leaves you, Mm. hence the change of pitch. Right. But I said the same thing happens with history and prophecy. Mm. So when we hear something from the past, the time is compressed. And when Mm. we hear something from the future, Mm. the time is extended. Mm. So when we hear history it seems like just yesterday mm. but when we hear prophecy it seems like it's a million years into the future right mm. and we've got to understand that the same distance 13 years in the past 13 years in the future mm. is actually exactly 13 years right but 13 years mm. in the past seems just like yesterday 13 years in the future seems mm. like it'll never happen right now i said all of that mm. without thinking yes and that's that's, that's the, the anointing. anointing, right? So then, what's the? How do you see sort of personal discipline and honing your craft and getting better at the the physicality of of creativity, really? And you know, developing a message, for example. H- how does that work? And how do you interplay what we have to do with with them? What God does? Well, I would go as far as if it's a companionship, if it's a partnership, mm. the 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 word that the Bible talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. It's mm. a sharing in common with. Mm. I'm working with him. So the first thing I do is is I get to know God mm. by the Spirit within me. I get mm. to know God and I work with him. He's my companion. Right. But there's a book out there called Talent is Overrated. Uh-huh, yeah. And I would go as far as to say, in fact, I've just done a message called Nine to Five. Mm. And it's not just... And it's about sermon preparation. Right. And the idea is that preaching is not about the what you do on a Sunday. Mm. It's about what you do nine to five. <laughs> but it's a play on words because I actually think it's the emphasis is more on, in, in the message, I do nine things that you have to do. Right. The, the ordinary. Yes. And five things that are supernatural. So five things that, nine things that are natural, five things that are supernatural. Supernatural. And I compare the two Mm -hmm. by saying that actually most of what I do Mm. is just ordinary, disciplined 
routinely hard work. Right. And do you looking think- up stuff, yeah. checking stuff, right. reading stuff. Right. But working with this, the miraculous. Right. So, in that, I guess a, a question in, in order to get to a question, do you think everybody's creative? Absolutely. Of course. We're all made in the image of God. Right. And so, therefore, everyone... So, I, actually, I object to people having calling themselves creative or the creatives or having yes. a creative department in church. Yeah, which is a bit it, offensive to us as the creative team. <laughs> it just annoys me because yeah. I think you are putting yourself on a pedestal saying that somehow that you're more creative than others uh-huh. and you are you are re- reducing the rest of us to non-creatives. Yes. That's ridiculous. Which obviously is not the heart of our team. Of course or... it isn't the heart of the team. <laughs> just, just to be clear. I am a pedantic... <laughs> In-your-face teacher. <laughs> it is a poor name for a for a <laughs> department. <laughs> but I guess the heart of our team and what we would speak at team nights and, and to whoever will listen is that we're all we are all creative. Yes. And please come and join our team. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't have any problem with that. You you are fantastic, or we are fantastic at releasing people into their creative strength. And yeah, I love the fact best. I love the fact that in our church, in that creative department, mm. there mm. are writers, photographers, mm. musicians, singers. Yeah. Every kind of creativity is mm. explored. Mm. Architects, artists. Yes. And I love that. Yeah. But my personal view is that we're all creative. And the reason that I say that, I, I've been doing uh, writing a, just a, a simple thing on creativity and preaching. And I'm, forgive me for using preaching as an illustration, mm. but that's my world. Yeah, it's great. And I've been basically saying that God is a creative God. Mm-hmm. He's got all the ideas in the world. He's creative. And we are made in his image. Mm. So as a speaker, I must be creative. We've also been given an immensely beautiful message. Mm. And the Bible talks about God making things beautiful. Mm. And we are required in Isaiah 52 to proclaim, Mm. it says, how beautiful are the feet of those that proclaim good news. Mm. My job is actually to to proclaim this beautiful message. Yes. So therefore, by the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, who Mm. is hovering over creation, Mm. I should, every time I speak, mm. preach creatively, mm. not creative, uh, like creative accounting, creative <laughs> theology. I'm talking mm. about I should be thinking about yes. how I communicated. Jesus was mm. a master communicator. Right. He used memory devices. He used stories. Mm. He used object lessons. Mm. He used extraordinary words and images mm. all the time. He was just an immensely mm. creative communicator. Many, many preachers are just downright boring mm. and they should be creative. Yes. And I guess that's where I was going. So if everyone's creative yes, and, you know, as Christians, we, we can receive or have the anointing. Yes. The, the, perhaps the missing gap sometimes is the, the discipline. Would you say that's true? 
Yeah, I think I think both because I think some people are immensely disciplined but don't believe they're creative, so don't have access to the ideas. Yes, and then some people are immensely, you know, they know they're creative, got access to all the great ideas, but aren't disciplined. Right. So we need to be both. Mm, and I guess there's a third, which would be they're trying to do it in their own strength, for, oh, forgetting course. about the Holy Spirit and yeah. and and what He might want to do. So, for instance, a friend of mine was an electronics engineer. He mm. designed telephone systems. Mm. So he's trained to be diligent, to be careful, to be excellent. That's, mm. that's the nature of engineering. It's mm. very precise. Mm. So I said, how do you get your ideas? And he said, well, one of the ways I get my ideas is to sing. <laughs> he said, I take my guitar into work and I worship God. And God gives me patterns for telephones. That's amazing. networks. right. I think, well, wow. Fantastic. Here's an electronics engineer that mm. no creative in any creative department mm. would include in their right. <laughs> in right. their creative department. Right. Being immensely creative. Yes. Mm. So I personally think that anybody in any profession mm. has the capacity to be creative. Mm. Think of it from this perspective. The... The Bible tells us to do all for the glory of God. Mm. Everything we do should be for the glory of God. It should be a, an act of worship. Yeah. Well, we all believe that mm. our act of worship is, is at the heart of being creative. Yeah. We're doing things for glory, for the weight and worth of God. Mm. So it doesn't matter what I do. I could be a biscuit manufacturer. Mm. I should do it for the glory of God. Yeah. I heard a wonderful story about a man who was making a chair and he took 20 years to make the chair. Mm. And when asked why he took so long, he said, because an angel might sit on it. Yeah. That's doing mm. things for the glory That's of God. Profound. I think I read with that attitude. Yeah. I, re I work with that attitude. Mm. I'm doing this for the glory of God. Mm. Reading is an act of worship. Our work should be an act of worship. Mm. If you're gardening, it's an act of worship. Yes. It's nothing to do with mm. playing an instrument. Right. So would you say, I guess, just to kind of bring our time to a bit of a conclusion. Sorry, I've been chatting where I could do this a long time. I'm a teacher. And I feel like we, because <laughs> I have a whole bunch more questions. If you're willing, I'd love to have you no, back. We'll, but we'll, we'll do it again. I think that if I'm hearing what you're saying, maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll ask it in the form of a question. But okay. Would you say that people should seek God for what they're called to do, their specific calling, not general, specific calling, then do their best to outwork that calling creatively, add discipline to that, and trust the Holy Spirit for the, I can't remember the words you said, but essentially the delivery yes. of that perhaps calling. Yes, I think it's a journey. It's like you build a relationship with God as you would build a relationship with your partner in life. Yes. It, it starts off fairly awkward mm. and then it becomes comfortable mm. in the right sense of the word mm. till if you've been married as long as I have, it's a very comfortable relationship, but it's constantly growing, constantly. Yes. So mm. I think you do the same with God. You get to know him, mm. you find out what you're meant to be doing mm. and you pursue it with the commitment and the diligence and the creativity mm. and all that it takes to, to develop that relationship. Yes. Trust takes a huge amount of faith as mm. you go on this journey. Mm. But uh, I think it's a, 
delightfully engaging, beautiful, challenging, risky adventure mm. that God has called us all to. Mm. And why don't we explore it? Mm. I think we've only begun to tap the surface, scratch the surface mm. of what God has called us to. Mm. I think it's much grander, much more glorious, much more adventurous than we can possibly imagine. Mm. I think we'll all get to heaven and, and if we're allowed regret, we will be in regret. Mm. Why didn't we do that? Mm. Why didn't we try that? Why didn't we practice that? I think there are gifts on offer. I think there are opportunities on offer. Mm. I think there are mindsets that could, that, that could be shifted and things could be changed. Mm. Just on the basis of discovery, God has given us this extraordinary world, mm. this, this indescribably beautiful and complex world mm. that is so creative and so beautiful that God just can't help himself. He has to make stuff. Yeah. And he's made things on this earth, including half the bottom of the sea that mm. we've never seen, Yes, the most unexplored part of the entire ocean, where yeah. animals exist that we don't know exist. Mm. Things mm. exist. He just makes them because he likes making stuff. Yeah. But he's given us this world. Why shouldn't we explore it? Mm. So I yeah. want to go to every country. I want to meet every people group, I want to operate every gift, mm. I want to try every food, mm. I want, because yeah. I don't want to get to the end of my life and think I haven't lived. Mm. Yeah, and we get to enter into the fullness of this create creation that he yeah. has made for us. Yeah, yeah. and we just, we just scratch the surface, uh -huh. and yet we, most Christians... Forgive me for being blunt, mm. as I said about some preachers. They're just living boring, cheap, surface, mm. average lives mm. when God has called them to something extraordinary. Yeah. And that is incredibly inspiring. And I love that um, you would share openly and boldly about that and uh, that you would encourage us to, I guess, enter into God's creative work. He's creating and we get to partner with him in that creative narrative and and display him to the world. The, the, finish on this thought. Mm. In, in Australia, in Sydney, there is a portrait prize mm. called the Archibald Prize yeah. that every year people, hundreds of people, put in portraits of famous people, non-famous people, and every year it's just about to be chosen, the, the winner of the mm. Archibald Prize is is there for all to see. Mm. And it's often a fairly obscure piece of art, mm. often in, in, a, in a way that we probably, as non-professionals, non-artists, wouldn't choose. Right. But the week before the Archibald Prize is won, mm. there is a packing room prize. And the people who unpack all the artworks the average down-to-earth <laughs> normal Australians who yeah. unpack the artworks and put them on the wall yeah. choose their portrait. And that is always published the week before and it's usually stunning. And it's called the, 
the Packers Room Prize. Right. Hmm. And it's a, it's a genuine prize in, in and of itself. Right. And I was thinking about this recently and I thought, we are required as Christians, as creative people, as called people, to portray and reflect mm. the face of Christ. That's what we're called to do. Mm. We're called to reveal Christ to the world. Mm. So, and we're called to reveal Christ to the average man on the street. Mm. So here's a question to finish. Would your portrayal of Christ hmm. win the Packers Room Prize? Hmm. Does the average man on the street see Christ in your life and in your portrayal and say, that wins the prize? Hmm. Or is it obscure and clouded or do you not even attempt to portray him? Hmm. I think tragically... People have got a very warped view of Christ because we haven't painted him well. Mm. Well, with that, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. It's been great to talk to you. What a fascinating question to end that time with Robert with the thought that does our life, does our creativity reflect the face of Christ? Does our ordinary, everyday life actually point to something greater. I think that's a great place to to stop and think about for a little while to, to maybe meditate on. Am I reflecting Christ in my art, in my creativity, in my life, or am I just reflecting myself? Would the normal everyday person see Him when they see me? Or do they just see me a struggling artist or a struggling creative trying to do my thing and maybe not see anything greater? It's a good question for us all, and I think it's where we'll leave it for this week. If you haven't already, I'd love to take a minute just to encourage you to subscribe. When you do that, you become part of our growing community of creatives who are trying their best to live out their faith through their creativity. So join us anywhere you find your podcasts, subscribe, and then you won't miss out on anything. And I always love to hear from you. So please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It helps with the visibility of the podcast and it lets us know what you think, what you're enjoying and where we can go with the podcast in the future. Aside from that, you can write to me on Twitter or Instagram at Rich Langton and we'll talk to you next time.